Well, I want you to open your Bible. Hopefully, you have a little worship sheet with you that we can, uh, we'll, we'll get to some of those little blanks to fill in a little bit. But I want you to open your Bible, please, to the book of Acts. We'll all just take a moment to do that. And you know, I know we don't know by memory what's in every uh, chapter in the Bible by any stretch of the imagination, but there are some chapters in the Bible. If someone just mentions that chapter, um, even if you don't have a photogenic mind, that you are familiar with the Bible enough to know, oh, at least a red flag goes up. If you don't always remember specifically what's in the chapter, you, you would remember, hey, now, I believe he may be in the territory of, of whatever. For example, if someone said, open your Bible to Acts chapter uh, 2. Well, I would hope that your uh, antennas would go up and say, oh, that's the, that's the chapter about where the, uh, the day of Pentecost or the Holy Spirit came. Like that would be the chapter, the birthday of the church. I mean, that would just be. If someone said, which I'm saying now, in a moment, we'll be there in Acts chapter 9. If someone said, okay, we're going to look in Acts chapter 9. Well, I believe your antenna would go up and say, oh, that's the chapter that Saul, who became Paul, met Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's one of the major chapters in the Bible. And uh, so we, we're excited about that. Well, look with me in Acts chapter 2. Let's go back to that thought just a moment before we get to Acts chapter 9, talking about uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming. And if you were present last Sunday morning or watched last Sunday morning, Dottie, in her talk, one of the things she mentioned that she loved about our church, and she used the phrase, the church is together, together. And she didn't really have time to go into all that, but she did kind of elaborate a little bit on that. But well, where she get, where, what she's talking about, we read about in Acts chapter 2, if you look with me in verse number 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost uh, had fully come, uh, which was 10 days, Pentecost means 50th, uh, means 10 days uh, after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. You know, he, he, after he came out of the tomb, he stayed in, on the earth for 40 days, and the people saw him those 40 days. In fact, if you want to look back in Acts chapter 1, so you can just mark it in your Bible in verse number 3, the Bible says, To whom Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. So Jesus lived on earth again 40 days, then he ascended into heaven. Then 10 days later, uh, we come to this day of Pentecost. And look what it says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were, the disciples, all with one accord in one place. Now, the little phrase, together, together, uh, I looked in several different translations, and I didn't see any of the translations that I looked. There may be others that said together, together, but that's literally what that is said. They were with one accord in one place. In other words, they were together, together. They were together physically. You know, they, Jesus had told them uh, to wait in Jerusalem, to stay there until the promise that the Father had made would come, which was the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible tells us they went back to uh, the upper room 
uh, after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. If you're in Acts chapter 1, you just may want to mark that in verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, the, uh, after Jesus ascended, verse 12, they go back then to the upper room where they had the last supper of the Lord Jesus. So they are, they are, what does the Bible say? They are with one accord in one place. The one place is back in that upper room. So physically, they now are together. Well, the little phrase with one accord means spiritually they had agreed to do what Jesus told them to do. So spiritually, they were uh, together. So when you put those two together, you have that little phrase, together, together. You know, God's work depends on God's people not necessarily all being in the same room, but God's people being together, together. Even those watching by stream tonight, in, in one sense, you watching are together with us. Now, you're not physically together with us in this room, but spiritually we're together together, and in your heart, you're, you're with us in a, in, a, in, a, in a special way. Now, you know, here's the bottom line. You can be together and not be together. For example, a marriage like a husband and wife can live together in the house, so they're together in the house, okay? But they may not be together in other ways. Uh, it could be that way at work. We come to work, so we're together at work. We're in the building. But it could be that even though we're all together physically in the building, the fact is You've got maybe an employee bent sideways about this, and they don't like that, or they don't like this person, they don't like that. So what happens is the, physically they're together, but spiritually they're not together, and uh, that's just a road to not good. I guess the best example of together together, if you wanted to use one where they're not together together, would be the Congress. Would you agree with me on that? They are together in the room that they meet, whether it be the Senate or the House, so they're all in this room. But they're sure not together together in the room. I mean, like in the Senate, you have 50% over here together for this and 50% together for this, but the problem is <laughs> the, the thises aren't the same, and they never meet in the middle. They never meet anywhere. So that is good. Now, in the church, look, Together, together does not mean that we have to all agree on everything. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that at all. I mean, God gives you a brain. God gives me a brain. But here's what it does mean. It means on the things that matter in a church, God's people would need to be together, together. Like the blood atonement. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Bible's inspired word of God. I mean, there'd be a good long list of things that are what I thought think to be. These are basic teachings of the word of God. So if we're not together on those, there's no way we'd ever be together together. And how that works out, if it be like that, God's work will limp along instead of doing and being what God's work could do and be. Now, there are many other issues in, in church, whether it be our church or I'm just talking about Christian churches. There are many other issues that uh, everybody wouldn't say, I don't agree with this. And I don't like, you know, one church says you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Now, to me, that just violates everything the Bible teaches. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period. But like, 
the method of baptism. Well, you know, we baptize by immersion, some baptize by sprinkling, some by pouring, Presbyterian be pouring. Okay, well, you know, I believe what I believe, but that to me is not a major issue like the, uh, the, the, the blood atonement uh, as, as a payment of our sin debt. To me, that's a major issue. So there these other little issues, you know, I'm not saying they don't matter, but they, in the light of eternity, they don't matter. I mean, I, I, I believe there'd be people in heaven that were sprinkled. There'd be people in heaven poured. There'd be people in heaven immersed. The way to go to heaven is not by the mode of baptism. The way to go to heaven is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and putting your trust completely in him and him alone. Now, so as we think about that, now let's go over here in Acts chapter 9. Now, Acts chapter 9 a huge part of this chapter is the story about Paul, whose name then was Saul. In fact, if you want to just mark in your Bible, if you move over to chapter 13, uh, I'll show you a verse you might want to mark to kind of help you. You know, many people or some people go by more than one name. You know, like sometimes, well, well our grandson. Like his name is Joel. Well, his father's name is Joel. Well, he's somehow or another, he's evolved into the majority of people call him by another name. Well, I'm just going to call him, I just call him Joel. And uh, that's his name. And, uh, you know, I've asked him, you know, which name do you want to go by? He said, well, I don't care. And I said, oh, okay, well, then I'll just do what I want to do. But there, there are a lot of people that kind of go by two names. Now, if you look in Acts chapter 13, if you look with me over in, uh, down in verse number 9, you see it says, then Saul, who is also called Paul. Now, Saul was his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman's name. But up to this point, this man is always in Scripture referred to as Saul. Now, when you come over here in chapter 13, things are about to change, and then we know him as the Apostle Paul. So in our preaching, I normally just say, you know, the Apostle Paul. Well, I'm talking about this man Saul that we read about in chapter 9. If you look, it's very, very interesting. This man, of course, he was standing by when Stephen uh, was stoned to death. And, uh, you know, he, he was devout in his Jewish beliefs. He was... He, he was using all of his position in life to uh, have Christians arrested and brought and put in prison and trying to destroy and wipe out Christianity. He was an enemy to Christianity. If you look in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way. Now, believers in Jesus, they were referred to, you may want to underline that little phrase in, in verse 2, of the way, people of the way. They, 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 were, they were not called Christians until you get over in, in chapter 11, verse 26. It said Antioch, where they were first called Christians, but they were called people of the way. In other words, they, they lived a certain way. And then the Jewish people, they refer to Christians, that is, if one of them becomes Christian, as a believer. That's how they do that. Well, he wanted letters of authority to arrest men or women and bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
And so he makes his way uh, to Damascus, where a large population of Jewish people had, had, had gone. And, you know, after, after Stephen was stoned, uh, many uh, Christian people, had made their way to Damascus as well. And Damascus is a large city, so 150, 175 miles uh, to Jerusalem. And if you go to the Holy Land, one of the gates where you come out is called the Damascus Gate. And that gate comes out. And if you're coming out of the old city, out of the Damascus Gate, and you look right straight up, there is Golgotha, which today is a bus station. Now, the Golgotha is still there. But down below, but in the day of Jesus, and even today, that would be one of the busiest gates that you would go in and out of. It would be a lot of trade even today going in and out of the gate. It's probably the most dangerous gate to go out of. The last time or two that we've gone to Jerusalem, the guide would just say, we're not going to be able to turn to the right and go out the Damascus Gate. It's just not safe. And, but some of the years we've gone, we have gone out of Damascus. Now, when you're over here, uh, in the garden tomb looking over and you see the Damascus gate you see how busy it is well it was that way and of course that road leads about 150 175 miles to Damascus and this is what Saul was doing he was on his way to Damascus to persecute uh, arrest and bring back to Jerusalem and have put in prison those who were believers and while on the road to Damascus you know the story Jesus spoke to him and and of course told him what to do and went over to Damascus and met the man Ananias and you know all about that story uh, I hope if you if you have it you need to read that and that kind of gets us down through uh, verse 19 where the scales fell off of his eyes now that's the big part of that chapter but in this chapter number nine there's another story and it's a very interesting story it tells what Saul did, and I'm just going to call him Paul at this point so we know everybody's clear about who we're talking about. It says in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ. Now, he'd gone over to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem and have them put in prison. Now, he's met Jesus. He's, he's, he's gone and done what Jesus told him to do, and he's been baptized, and now he, he's like Instead of being anti-Christianity, he's now uh, he's now a preacher. He's now and he go and he goes into the synagogues. He would have been very at home in the synagogues because that was his territory. He knew all about the synagogues, so he goes into the synagogues and he preaches that Christ is the Son of God. Then verse twenty-one says, "Then all who heard were amazed." Well, I imagine they were amazed. They said, "Is not this he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem, and has come here to Damascus for that purpose, so they not bring us bound to the chief priests?" But then Bible says in verse twenty-two, "But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded that word. He confused the Jewish people." Now you have to understand the Jewish people do not believe Jesus is is the Messiah. Even today, they're waiting on the Messiah. That's what's so sad. They're waiting on the return of the Lord. Well, we are too, but we're waiting on different returns. We're waiting on the second coming. They're waiting on the first coming. They do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. They do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, even today. So Paul's in their church. Can you imagine me going into a Jewish synagogue and saying, now, 
I've been invited to be the guest preacher and get up and tell all the Jewish people, I want you to understand Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why, it would be heresy to them. Well, they're just confused. But they said, We've, this man's been doing the opposite. But, and then it says he increased them more and more in strength and confounded, confused the Jews who dwelt in the masters, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, here's the really exciting part of this story. In verse 23, it says, now after many days were passed. Now, that's a little phrase you just need to underline. And maybe on your sheet somewhere, there's no blank for it. But you might just want to write down Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. And later you can read that. But what that little phrase is talking about when it talks about after, now after many days were passed, it refers to the three years. Once Saul, who became Paul, had gone to Damascus, the scales fell off his eyes, and, and, and he was baptized, and now he was a believer. Before he began his ministry, we read in Galatians, and that's what this phrase is talking about, that he traveled to Arabia, out into the real desert. And for three years in Arabia, he was instructed by the Lord in preparing him for the ministry that would be his. So he didn't just get saved and start out in his full ministry. He had this three-year period. You know, I, I don't think this is why they do it, but I've often thought when you go to seminary, the basic seminary degree is three years. And uh, sometimes those three years feel like you're in the Arabian desert. <laughs> now, that's the basic master's degree in the seminary. And then your advanced degree would be years on top of that. Um, that would be in the theology school, the religious education school. Music school would be two years, but the ministers would be three years. Okay. But anyway, he's out. He's out. That'd be a pretty good place to go to, wouldn't it? Go out in the desert for three years and God teach you. Well, that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. After, after many days, that's his three-year period, the Jews, they plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. And as they watch the gates day and night to kill him, look what happens in verse 25. The disciples, the believers, took him by night. Now, this is exciting. <laughs> and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, Damascus was a major city. And it was surrounded by a wall. In fact, those walls, like the walls in Jericho, when we think about a wall, we're just thinking about something. Well, a wall, the walls around the city were very wide, and people actually could, 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 could live up there. They could, they could do a lot of things on the wall. There was room plenty to, to, to function. And there would be ways, like there'd be little openings in the wall if someone needed to go down that way. And so here's, here's what we have. We have the Apostle Paul, Saul. He's now... Uh, he's, he's in some kind of a basket that they would have used to lower supplies and bring supplies up that wall. Well, they put him in this basket. And to, to lower him, they would have to have 
some kind of ropes to do that. So what you have a picture of, you have the Apostle Paul. Now here he is, he's been trained by the Lord in the desert for three years after he's been saved. He's come back and preached here in Damascus, and, and many of the Jewish people are believing. Others are very confused, but the Jewish people in large are saying, we've got to get rid of this guy. Uh, he's destroying the very, the very things we believe. And so what they said to him, Paul, we got to get you out of here. So they put him in this basket. So you've got guys holding the rope, and you've got him in the basket. Now, with that little background, I want you to take your sheet. Because to me, this is one of the exciting stories in the Bible. And I think there's some things we can learn tonight that will be very good for us. Some, we're thinking about doing God's work. Let's apply that to just today, doing God's work. We're not on a wall, and, and we're not literally going to get in a basket and that kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is, the principle taught here is the together, together principle as good as any principle in all the Bible. Now, when you think about doing God's work, some people do God's work uh, without any question, inconspicuously, and uh, they're going to put that up on the screen. And you know, I, the, the whole the whole idea is, uh, in fact, if you look in our verse, it, if you notice in verse number twenty-five, it, it just says the disciples they're unnamed, no names given here. Uh, they're they're behind the scenes people. They're the people not in the spotlight. I mean, you have to have these folks holding the rope to get him down. But he's the, he's the main character, and they're not the main characters. But without them, they never would have gotten the main character down. And, you know, when you think about that, the Bible spotlights the Abrahams and the Davids and the Elijahs and the Jeremiahs and, and the Peters you know, all, you know these, are the, these are the main event people in the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, for every one main event person listed in the Bible, there are endless numbers more of just unnamed people in the Bible that they, they weren't the main event person. And some that are named still, they themselves were not the main event person. Like I think about Peter. Now, there's no question. You know, Peter had a brother, brother named Andrew. And you remember back in the Gospel of John, Andrew met Jesus first. And then the Bible says, then he went and found his brother, Simon Peter. And he brought, he said, We've, I found the Messiah. And he brought him to Christ. So he, he like led his brother to the Lord. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, that's Peter's great sermon. Well, that multitude of people saved. Now, I just have to try to use my sanctified imagination. But like while Peter's up preaching this great sermon, I just believe somewhere out in the crowd, probably back in the back, stood his brother Andrew. Now, Peter is who everybody's seeing. They're not seeing Andrew. They're seeing Peter. But had it not been for Andrew, Peter wouldn't be preaching a sermon. But all the credit's always given to Peter, and Andrew's just kind of, you know, left back here somewhere. Now, in God's Word, Think with me a moment, because I, you talk about a, a, a truth in this church, and I'm sure it's true in every church, but I think this church would be the most of any, this would be the more so in this church than any church I've been the pastor. Now, you say, well, you haven't been a pastor that many churches. You've been here forever. Well, 
Yeah, but I have been pastor some other churches too. I was in Sulphur Springs nine years, and I was in the Knoxville, Tennessee area nine years, and uh, then I was at Travis three years as assistant pastor, and then our first little church in the country, we were almost three years at church. So, but like this church, when I came to the church, I figured this out real quick. Like ministerial-wise, this church has very few ministers, really. We've always, this church is extremely low in the number of ministers we have for the size of the membership of the church. And, and uh, I mean, churches nowhere near the size of our church have as many or more than we do. And I, the way this works, though, is the members, you just had the list tonight. I mean, you looked at all those people elected to serve in all those positions. But look, there are many other people holding the ropes, serving the Lord. They're, they're like Andrew. You, they're back in the crowd somewhere. You don't ever see these people. I meant and failed to do so to ask Jimmy today. Like this year, how many people actually sung in the tree? Uh, it's, it was less than 100. It seems like, do you know that number? I, I want to say 80-something, but that may not be right. It was not the largest number that sung in the tree, and we all said it may have been the best tree we ever did. But here's the point. It wouldn't matter whether it was that tree or the tree that sung the most people in the tree. The fact is there are more people holding the ropes for the tree that we never even see. I'm not talking about the folks that we see on the stage in the drama. I mean, look, you've got Brent and all that group, Rick's group. All, you've got people back in this room every Sunday. E everything we see on the screen, everything the people see that watch. I mean, all that's done by people that are invisible. The folks never see these people. They see Jimmy. They see Chris. They see me. They see John. They see others. But look. <laughs> They're just untold numbers of everything we pick up. Uh, there's just like behind the scenes people have done all this stuff. It's just, just the people driving the carts, the ushers. I mean, just people all over the place doing things. Many people, that's their way of serving God. They hold the ropes. Others may be in the basket. But without those holding the ropes, those in the basket won't ever be able to do. We have to be together together. And we see this truth taught right here in this chapter. Now let's move on from that. Some do God's work optimistically. And if you look in verse 25 again, the disciples took him by night. They let him down through the wall in a large basket. Well, now... They knew who was in the basket, but they really didn't know who was in the basket. Oh, they knew his name, obviously. They knew, they knew a little of what his story was. They had heard that. He had told that, how he had become a believer. But I don't think they had a clue. I could, I, there's no way. They never had a clue that this guy in the basket <laughs> was going to wind up impacting Christianity like God used Paul to impact Christianity. You know, that's interesting. But they just stayed with the task. They held the ropes until he actually got to the very bottom. They stayed with it. And that, that's the other idea here. Uh, you know, you just never know. 
you just never know when you're trying to teach somebody or encourage somebody or do anything in God's work. You just never know what the end of that might be. You really don't. Um, you know, sometimes we, uh, I think every, every one of our workers that teaches children, they, they, do, they don't have an idea. I mean, like, there was a day that, like, somebody was probably trying to encourage Billy Graham, but in the ways of the Lord. Well, Billy Graham himself was, he and his wife Ruth, you know, Franklin, the one now that's over the Billy Graham Association and Samaritan's Purse, I mean, he, he was on the wrong road in life. And his mom and dad prayed for him, and, and, and Dr. Graham talked to him, and, and ultimately uh, his life turned around in, in, a, in a very dramatic way. But, like, I doubt they ever realized when he was growing up doing all that crazy stuff, and they was trying to talk to him about God and how he needed to live his life. They, they themselves probably never dreamed, like, he's not only going to turn around, he's going to have a ministry beyond anything we've ever imagined. You just never know. When you do anything for God, it may seem like a, we just need to, we need to just be very optimistic about it because you never know. Don and I had an experience last night, interesting. It was 20 minutes to 8 o'clock, and I said, I feel like we need to call it was one of our members, and I'm not going into any detail about that, but one of our members uh, who had had a real major loss is, is, is a lady member. I said, uh, and I, I said, I just think maybe, I said, do you think it's too late to call? It's 20 till 8 o'clock. And she said, well, probably maybe not. I don't, what does that mean, probably maybe not? Probably maybe not. I said, I'm going to call. You stay with me. And I called, and. The lady answered the phone, and I said, hey, Dottie and I are just kind of sitting here together in the living room, had the speakerphone on, and I said, we're just thinking about you and praying for you, and I, I won't go into con you know, that deal that, but, but anyway, and then I said, here, Dottie wants to talk to you by herself, and then I want to pray with you, and Dottie did, and then I, pr I, I prayed with her, and, and, and when I finished my prayer, I was about to hang up. She said, do you have just a minute? I said, well, yeah, I've got all night. Uh, what, what do you need? And here's what that person said. You will never know what your phone call meant to me tonight. And I thought, boy, I, needed, I need to be reminded. You know, it, it can just be such a simple little thing. If God puts something on your heart, you just need to do it. Could I have an amen to that? Yeah. See, the devil wouldn't put that on my heart. I don't probably have enough spirituality in my own mind to think of it on my own. If it's good, God probably put it there. And so if you have something come to your heart that you could minister to somebody in any kind of way, it may be something just like holding the rope. But we need to be optimistic about it. In that, when we hung up, I thought, man, alive, God did put that in our heart. and we, we just simply obeyed, made a little phone call and, and had prayer and whatever. So I'm saying to you, your job may look inconspicuous, but like... Like even the people that drive these cars, you know, <laughs> that's really the first impression that a visitor would have to our church. And like long before they hear the sermon, they either already have been made to feel welcome or not.
uh, and, and, you know, it may seem like a little simple thing, but we need to be optimistic. And then some do God's work persistently, like in verse 25 again. They obviously held the rope to the basket, got to the very bottom and reached the ground. They stayed with their work to the end. You know, that's interesting. Uh, some people, boy, let me say this. Many people will like, get saved, or maybe join a church, and they just on fire for God. And then they have some jobs in the church, and, and they're faithful. And then as time goes on, little by little, something happens, and they just they quit. They may not quit the church. They ultimately probably will. But they quit serving God in some way. They just, and, and when you're not serving God in some way, you just kind of dry up, whatever that way might be. It doesn't have to be a spotlight person. He can be holding a rope. But it's such an encouraging thing, and it's such a better thing just to stay faithful. Let me get you to write a little Bible verse down. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Just jot that reference down. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus said, be faithful unto death. Boy, that's what I want to do. I want to be just faithful to the end. I don't mean like to the end when you're the pastor. I mean, I just pray that God will help me. And I, I, will, I encourage you to pray, say, as long as we have breath in our bodies, let's be faithful to God to do whatever God gives us to do that we can do. Be faithful to the end. Now, at your little conclusion tonight, we don't normally have blanks to fill into conclusion, but I think this is, is the right one, is every Christian can do something for God. Some can get in the basket. Others can hold the ropes, and that's true. Well, I need to preach this on Sunday morning, one Sunday morning. If I did, would y'all make like you never heard it? Well, you'd be forgotten anyway. Think what would happen in any church anywhere, seriously, <laughs> if all the members said, you know what, we're going to get together together. Some of us, we're going to be the basket folks. We're going to be the, you know, God's blessed us and gifted us. We can teach the classes. We can sing the solos. You know, we can do whatever. And others say, you know what? I can't do any of that. But I tell you what I can do. I can hold the ropes. And I can think of so many. I was thinking about them yesterday and thinking about them again today. Many of them are going to be with the Lord now. Some of the most faithful Christian people I've ever known in my whole life have been in this church. I never heard them make a talk out loud in the church. They just, day after day, week after week, the one that came to my mind this morning early, many of you remember, Lee Jaggers. Many of you remember Lee? Lee and Joyce? That's one. He was, Lee was a very small man. He was a treasure of our church for a number of years. Uh, he served on finance committee as long as he was physically able. You know, Lee just, he was, I think about Dwayne Mills. Jimmy would tell you the same thing. You could call Dwayne Mills anytime and say, Dwayne, could you, could you kind of help? It'd be, some, it'd be some, something that probably nobody else even want to fool with. He'd always say these same words, count it done. Count it done, Pastor. When you see Herwick, check me on it. Say, Jimmy, you remember Dwayne Mills? When, when you ever asked Dwayne Mills to do something, what, what did he say back to you? Jimmy's going to say to you, unless he's lost his long-term memory, 
He's going to say, he, he, he won't, he, he'll say, well, he always said the same thing. Count it done. And I'm telling you what, I could stand here and name you man and woman, man and woman. They didn't maybe say that like Dwayne did. They just did it. They just always were willing to hold the rope. I think of old Virgie Foreman. Man, I start. I better hush up. I'm going to give away my age, sure enough. But we've had some precious people in this church, and today still have some precious people in the church. They don't all, they're not all basket people. That's those that are, we bless the God, but they're just holding a rope together, together, doing God's work. That is how it's done.